Well, as I said a moment ago, uh, happy Mother's Day. Is that what it is? Is it Mother's Day? I want to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day, and uh, it's just fun to, to be together today on this day. I see my aunt, who is a mother to me, my mother-in-law, and uh, my brother-in-law, who is not a mother to me. But anyhow, hey, glad you're all here, and uh, just wishing you that, and whatever you're a mom, a grandmother, grandmother-to-be, or a mom-to-be, um, it's exciting. However, as I thought about Mother's Day and as I process it through each and every year, uh, I realize that for some of us, Mother's Day might be kind of difficult. Um, sometimes they are. Uh, for whatever the circumstances might be, uh, maybe this is the first Mother's Day you're going through without mom. Um, I remember that very well um, as a kid and going into my Sunday school class and the uh, activity, the craft of the day was to make something, of course, for mom. And me raising my hand and saying to my teacher, uh, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a mom anymore. And so I've been to that realm, and maybe somehow I can empathize with what that's like for you today. Or maybe you are here and you've gone through life and you never were a mom. And uh, I live with my wife for the first 10 years of her marriage of hearing those prayers of desiring to be a mom. Or in the case of my aunt who never got to be a mom until I came at 14, to live with them after the Lord took my parents to be with them. So I just say happy Mother's Day, yet with the understanding and recognition that maybe for some of us that there's some things that we have to process through. So whatever this day means for you, I, I believe we can all at least picture our mom or the person who, if you will, played the role of our mom in our lives. Or, or maybe you didn't grow up in the Christian home and some woman became that spiritual mom for you as time went on and you think of that person and that picture of that woman comes to your mind. As I think about Mother's Day, I think about a couple of pictures that are settings, if you will. One is in church. I don't know quite what it is with churches, but it seems to me in every church I've been in, the piano is on the left-hand side for you and the organ is on the right-hand side. I don't know if that's somewhere here in the Bible and I missed it. But I remember sitting down in front of that section over there because my mom was our pianist of our church. And I remember her playing, and I can see the back of her many times in my mind without a piano. And then coming to sit down, and I'd scooch up, and her lap was my pillow. I, I love that memory and that picture of church with my mom. I, I think also of my aunt, who I spent most of my time with growing up, and how she became the one who provided so much wisdom. Um, and it wasn't just for me, but there were all kinds of people, particularly in our college years and the college ministry they sponsored, of those coming for wisdom and direction and, and just how she helped them uh, through that in our home. So if you guessed on Mother's Day that somebody would be here giving a, a sermon on something to do with Mother's Day, you'd be correct. You would be right. But what you might not have guessed exactly was that the sermon title would be, God is like a mom. You might hear that title, you might see that title and go, God is like a mom. Help me out here, Bill. I'm not quite sure I'm grasping this or if it's even biblical for crying out loud. I mean, I've heard or pictured uh, of if the title on Father's Day was God is like a dad, okay, I, I, okay, I can get that one, but God being like a mom, seriously. 
And seriously, I am in a tie. So yes, we, we all are serious, and some of you had some fun with that. Well, the truth be told, today's message really isn't as much about moms as much as it is about God. Yes, we're going to reference moms, we're going to look at moms, but it's ultimately about God. You see, the reason why is that one of the metaphors God uses in the Bible to help us better understand, to better comprehend who he is, is a mom. And I want you to think of today's message as kind of like a picture. We're looking at a picture of God, trying to grasp a better understanding of what God is like. Because that's something that we can go throughout life trying to go, how is God? What is God? What is he like? And so if the slide will move forward and we can get the fill-ins, then everyone will be happy with their notes and they'll see that, oh, that's the metaphors and understand and mom, and it's all good. Um, this might seem strange to us at first when we think of God being like a mom, and even if it's a metaphor. But when we consider the good qualities, they're related specifically to godly women, to a godly mom. Scripture informs us that these unique and enduring qualities are found in the very nature of God. And that's something we're going to look at today. In fact, today we're going to be in Psalm 34. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10 in a moment. You don't need to turn there because we're not going to start there. I'm just telling you that's where we're going to be going. Psalm 34, if it could be labeled out, is I always like to think, well, what is this psalm about? Well, it's where God pays attention to those who call on him. God pays attention, or God listens to those who call on God. He hears them. Psalm 34 has been labeled as a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. It's also been labeled as a psalm of wisdom. And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is this. The first seven verses focus on thanksgiving and praise to God, kind of like the hymns we sang this morning. The second part, the last 15 verses, verses 8 to 22, focus on the wisdom of God. And it's, that's why you get some understanding and look at this. If you were to open up Psalm 34, and actually most of the Psalms, not all the Psalms in the Old Testament, you'll usually have some sort of title uh, above that section of Scripture, above that Psalm. And if you were to do that in this one, it would probably say something like this. Of David, so he, he's the writer, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So it's about David. David's writing. He's changing his behavior before this king known as Abimelech. His other name is known as Achish, which we'll see here in a moment. So that Achish, this king, drove him away. It's like, get out of here. That, that's what this picture is, is that we're going to see. And so to gain a better understanding and appreciation for Psalm 34, to better see how God is like a mom, which I'm hoping we can do today, let's look at the frame, if you will, around this picture. Most of us have some sort of picture or pictures throughout our household, and most of them are framed, right? Well, what I want to do before we jump into Psalm 34 is frame this picture of God. So if you got your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel verse, or chapter 21. 1 Samuel 21. You can go to a flat screen too if that works better for you, and it might even be easier to find than flipping pages. 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're just going to look at verses 10 to 15. And what we find here is the setting, the framework, if you will, that surrounds Psalm 34. So we're going to look at the frame here for a moment. And this is where David flees to Gath. So let's look at this framework here of Psalm 34 by looking at verses 10 to 15 of 1 Samuel 
chapter 21. It goes like this. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one who they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. I love how Achish responds here. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So this is our framework from which Psalm 34 is written. Let's look at it just for a few moments to understand what's going on here. Saul was the first king of Israel. They wanted to have a king like other nations, and so they asked God. God's like, okay. He gives them Saul. The next king that comes along is David. David's the second king, and the third king will be Solomon. But here's David as Israel's second king because of Saul's sin and Saul's rebellion and Saul wanted to do things his own way. Ever been there? God says, I'm removing my favor and blessing and presence with you to lead my nation. Well, as you might imagine, jealousy and hatred fills the heart of Saul towards David, who's taken the throne of the kingdom of Israel. And so he wants to kill David. Now, I don't know if you've had people that don't like you a whole lot. But imagine running from them one day and you got away and you're like, whew, all's good. Maybe back in school or something or whatever, I don't know. But imagine being on the run for your life for not a week or a month or even a year, but 10 years. Scholars, when they look at this life of David, they go, man, for a decade? Can you imagine being on the run for your life for a decade? Now, if you're a fugitive because you committed a crime, that's one thing. But when you're the next king, and God's hand is upon you, and yet you're running for your life. That's what David is doing. And so while on the run, David flees to a place called Gath, which is what Psalm or 1 Samuel 21 takes us to. It's a Philistine city. Now, what's interesting about the city of Gath, so for those of you who've gone to church and know your Bible and whatever, and even if you don't, you're probably going to have heard of this person. There's a former resident of the city of Gath, this Philistine city. He's very, well, he was once very, very big. You might have heard of, say it with me, Goliath. Of all the cities David runs to, he goes to the city, he took out the big dude. This is amazing to me that this is the city that God directs him to. I think there's a plan in here, of course, that God has for David. And so this is the former home of Goliath. As you look at these verses, just real quick, verses 10 and 11, while David is there, some servants of Achish recognize David. Even though he's trying to act insane, they recognize him. And verse 11 says that they, I don't know, went to their playlist and started playing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So for those of us that are in the digital age, maybe this is on the playlist that David would like, oh yeah, go ahead and play that one. 
But I can guarantee you that Saul would have not had this on his playlist. He would have deleted this. He would have had thumbs down. He would not have liked this song, right? Of how that had been carried out for David. So what's David's response? David took these words to heart, not in a good way in this setting because of where he is and because of who's there. He took these words to heart, verse 12, very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. He's afraid for fear of revenge for taking Goliath's life and all the ramifications that unfolded as a result of that benefit Israel and hurt the Philistines. So verse 13, David pretended to be insane in their presence. In other words, to remain undercover, to be stealth so that they don't recognize who he really is because there's this fear that he's got in his heart. Verses 14 and 15, Achish, as we see, takes and believes David's portrayal of a madman, of being insane. So apparently David's a good actor and that he couldn't possibly be the real David, the king. There's no way this guy can be the king. Are you serious? And what he says here, as we see, is he says, look at this man, he's insane. And and he's like, am I short of these people? Crazy, insane, nutcases? Get him out of here. Get him out of my sight. He couldn't be the real David. Therefore, with this framework in mind, as we look at Psalm 34 as our picture of God this morning, keep this frame of 1 Samuel 21 in mind because it's this life-threatening situation, these circumstances. That's the setting for where David now writes Psalm 34. So if you got your Bible, now go over to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Now that we frame this up, let's actually look at the picture. Psalm 34, where God pays attention to those who call on him, which implies, right, that David's going to be calling upon the Lord in the midst of this circumstance. Let's just look at verses 1, 2, and 3 to begin. David writes, again, we've framed it up so we know what's going on in his life at this point. He says, I will extol or exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord, or it might say, I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm in the setting as we framed it up, I don't know that this is what's coming out of my mouth, that I'm going to exalt God. His praise is always going to be on my lips. I will glorify the Lord And then he says to you and me, hey, join in me, join with me to glorify and lift up God's name. So that means whatever circumstance you're in right now in life going through, whatever the trial, whatever the tribulation, whatever the setback, whatever didn't happen that you wanted to happen, David is saying, hey, I've been through a circumstance that's not very good. And David is saying, hey, I want you to praise God with me. We're going to look at why and the ways in which we can do that in a moment. But notice that David calls attention to what the Lord has done for him. As opposed to David saying, hey, by the way, I slayed my 10,000s. I have a pretty good, successful track record as being David. I mean, who's done that, right? But no, he says here in verse 2 that he is afflicted. Your translation might have the word, let the humble versus the afflicted. Uh, respond in what? 
rejoice. The afflicted hear and rejoice. It's interesting, this word, Hebrew word, ani, is to be depressed over one's circumstances. So what David is saying here is like, hey, I'm going to frighten some depression here in the midst of what I've got going through. But I'm going to get my eyes off my circumstances and situation here and all that could consume me, and I'm going to try and turn my attention back to God because I've seen his faithfulness as I look back on my life of how he's worked. And that's David, a man after God's own heart, as as the Bible says, So even though David is facing death threats from Saul, which goes on for 10 years, he's facing affliction. He's facing depression. David still praises God. I'm amazed at this in some ways, in my own flesh maybe, just to go, really, that's where you turn? That's how you go? How do you get to that point? How, How do you come to praise God in the midst of what you're going through? Well, David reminds us the praise of God is to be continual. That the praise of God is to be God-centered and overflow out of a grateful heart to the Lord. So as I said, I don't know exactly what the circumstances are for you today on this Mother's Day or this week that's ahead or how this month or year is going. But David reminds us there's reasons to praise God. In fact, I'm going to ask the question, why is David inviting us to join him in praising God? Because that's what it says in verse 3. Of Psalm 34. Glorify the Lord with me. Don't let him just be alone. Let us exalt his name together, like Allegra was encouraging us to do. Why do we find ourselves in Psalm 34 on Mother's Day? This day. Well, I want to submit to you it's pretty simple. The reason David gives us for praising God are the same reasons we often give for praising our moms. The reasons David gives for praising God are the same reasons we often give for praising our mom. This is why we're here today. This is why we're in Psalm 34. This is why today's message is entitled, God is like a mom. We're getting a picture of what God is like. But how? How is God like a mom, and how can I respond in the same way similar to what David did? And why would I want to do that? How is God like a mom? Well, let me give you three ways. You can write these down. First way is this, God is like a mom in that he, God, gives us comfort. God gives us comfort. I would submit to you that David was looking for some. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 34. David writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. God delivered me from all my, what? My fears. Those who look to him are radiant Their faces are never covered with shame. God is like a mom in that he gives us comfort. David knew from experience the importance of seeking the Lord. And he confirms that here in verse 4. He also knew from experience what fears are. The Hebrew word for fear means to be terrorized in the soul. It means to be consumed by the mind. So when David is writing here, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from this terror within my soul. He delivered me from my mind just being consumed with fear and what the circumstances were that day when I went to God in that setting and in that circumstance, in that situation. The idea of fear has the picture of dread, 
of darkness. In other words, there's a sense of hopelessness that David feels at this moment in the flesh, in reality, just looking around what he's hearing, what he's seeing, hence him trying to be pretend that he's insane so they won't tell that it's him. But he does go to God. He gets his eyes off the circumstances and says, God, I'm going to turn to you in this circumstance, in this situation, and I'm going to turn to you. And what does he say about this? I sought the Lord and God did what? He answered me. And more than that, what did he do? He delivered me. Not from every circumstance and situation that's going on, but the fear, the hopelessness, the dread, the terror in my heart, the consumption of my mind being with all that, that was what David was delivered from in that setting. I love that. God's answered and delivered David with comfort. In fact, verse 5 says, deliverance or comfort led David to be radiant. Did you see that? Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame, with fear, with gloom, with doom, with whatever is going on in that circumstance could so easily consume us, right? He's literally glowing brightly. It's compared to this darkness that he had felt in the midst of that setting on the run for his life. This comfort was abundant. It was accompanied with goodness. It was accompanied with blessing because God gave David radiant joy. I, said, I love how it says here in the verse 5, it says, they're never covered with shame, those who turn to the Lord. In other words, fear, terror, gloom, darkness, and shame have no hold. There's no grip now on David because he's turned that over to God. He sought that out to God. He's, God, I gotta give this to you in prayer. Yeah, the circumstance, situation might be difficult, but God, I'm gonna focus on you, not on what man is bringing to me and what's going on in life. And this is how David begins to find comfort. I like how, in relation to how God is like a mom and providing us with comfort, Isaiah puts it this way. In Isaiah 66, verses 12 to 13, I put it up on the screen for you. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dangled on her knees as a mother comforts her child. Here's our picture. So I will comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Israel needed to hear that. God is bestowing upon this truth to them. He's encouraging them. God's peace, his comfort coming to Jerusalem is compared to the way in which a mother comforts her child. That's something that God is able to do. And only a mom can bring the kind of comfort a child seeks when they're fearful. When terror has consumed them, when, when it's on their mind and, and that's what's overshadowing their life. As I thought about this, this picture that came to my mind was a, was a look of terror on my daughter's face when she's about a year and a half old. I, I had her in my arms. I was kind of walking around with her on the side of my house, and I decided to pick up the pace because she started kind of giggling a little bit. So now I'm starting to jog a little bit. As I'm jogging, my dog right next to me is getting very excited at this too and runs into me and takes me out my feet. At this point, as I lunge to get to the grass with my daughter's head in my hands, I land on, as I'm going down, going, you've got to land on your elbow so you don't land up here with her. I land on that, 
And I think we're okay. The dog now is licking us because she's excited that we've come down to play with her. So in her mind is what she thinks. I'm there with her. And all of a sudden, the face of my daughter changes from joy and happiness to this terror look on her face like I'd never seen before. And as you might have imagined, that there's a sound that comes with that of a scream. This terror, this fear, this consumption, this gloom, this darkness that her dad has brought her to experience on this day. At this moment, I realize I can't do a whole lot. Thankfully, mom is home. I, I move quickly as best I can, wanting to kick the dog several times to get my daughter to her mom. And within a minute or so, all was good. All was calm. The terror on her face was gone. Although there was a little bit of looking at me going, I don't know if I like this man. <laughs> at least that's what it seemed like. And I thought, if, if a mom can give that kind of comfort to our fears, how much more can a perfect, loving God give comfort to you who knows you better than anybody and understands what life is like for you day in and day out, what your fears are, but you don't tell anybody else. God knows those. David said, God, I gotta go to you and bring my fears to you. And as a result, David found comfort. Moms, when your children seek to find comfort with you, it's a picture of us seeking to find and finding comfort from God. Whenever you have found comfort from your mom, as you think back, it is a picture of how God is like a mom and that God gives us comfort, whether that's through his word, whether it's through prayer, whether it's the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it's other believers that say, man, I'm with you through this. One of the ways that God is like a mom is that he gives us comfort. Another way that God is like a mom is that he provides us with protection. God provides us with protection. Look now at verses 6 and 7 of, Isaiah, of, uh, of Psalm 34. Verse 6 and verse 7. David writes, the, This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. God is a God who provides us with protection like a mom does. This idea of the word poor here might have the word, if you're looking in your Bible, might have the word humble. In other words, he's calling out for help. He sought protection from his enemies or his troubles. This is what David's doing. And the response to this person who fears the Lord is that, what does it say here? The poor man called and the Lord what? Heard him. God's line is never busy. God's voicemail is never full. God always hears us when we cry out to him, when we call out to him. In fact, if you have your Bible there and are open to Psalm 34, flip over or look down to verse 15. Verse 15, and it says this, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his children, and his ears toward their cry. I said a moment ago, mom seems to know how to comfort kids. It seems to me that moms know how to 
what that cry, that sound is, right? Similarly, God knows what our cries are, and he knows what kind of comfort we need. Verse 6, David saved out of his troubles, and I want to submit to you, we are too, and we trust God. That's what David is showing us here. And again, when we frame it around and see what the circumstances are, we begin to go, okay, that's a lot to go through in life and have be uh, relieved of. David illustrates this divine intermission also that's going on here with reference to an angel being encamped. Look back at verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps or surrounds those who fear him, and he delivers them. This is how God works in our lives. This is how God desires to work. So David notes this. But in the end, David notes there's a premise for experiencing God's promise of protection. It's to those who fear God. What that means is those who have come into a right relationship with God, they recognize that they're not perfect. I don't know if you have a mom here that's ever told you that, but, you know, you're a perfect child most of the time, right? But maybe a couple times you blew it. Well, God says that, you know what, before him as being holy, we've fallen short. We've sinned. And when we turn those sins over to God and ask for forgiveness, the Bible tells us that God will come and dwell within us. Christ will come and dwell within us. And then we're able to be in a right relationship with God. That's the premise to the promise of being able to relieve, be relieved of those fears that David's speaking of here. And in relation to how God is like a mom providing us with protection, David put it this way in Psalm 5, 11 and 12. Again, I put it up on the screen for you. But let all who take refuge in you, Lord, be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. This picture of protection. In other words, the response to God's protection to those who love him is to be glad, is to sing for joy, is to rejoice because of what God is doing and is going to continue to do. Now, as I thought about this, let me ask this question, and you can or cannot raise your hand. It's your call. But, and if your mom is here, you might, you know, you might have to process, do I raise my hand or not? But have you ever experienced with your mom her being overprotective before? Or was that just me? Oh, at least we got a couple hands that went up. Okay. The overprotective mom. Well, as I thought about that, the thought that came to my mind was when I came one time to visit my aunt and uncle, and my aunt knows this story very well, we got to go to Disneyland. And we got to go on this ride called Space Mountain. It was brand new. It just opened up. And uh, I met the minimum height requirement. There was a safety bar over me. But my aunt believed that her talons, or rather nails, needed to come out at this point right here in this section of my leg as she's riding next to me. And as the ride begins to get going faster and faster at the happiest place on earth... I start to feel the talons dig in deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's dark, so you can't see what's going on. And I kind of am looking at her going, ha, ha, you know, at the same time, this joy and pain that I'm feeling right now of her seeking to protect me because she believes that her talons are going to keep me from flying out of the car in Space Mountain, I guess. I share that story with you to say this. 
God is a God who knows the perfect amount of protection you need. He is never going to be overbearing, and he's never going to be underweight. We have a God who knows your circumstances and your situations. And when David wrote and said, I have all my fears dispersed, I have a God who protects me, it was perfect protection. Perfect protection. That's how God works. It's perfect. It's always the right amount. We can be glad. We can be sincere. We can rejoice over that as David is doing. So moms, when your children seek to find protection it's a picture of us seeking to find protection from God. Whenever you found protection from your mom or the woman who played that mother figure in your life, it's a picture of how God is like a mom. God provides us with protection. It's always the perfect amount, which gives us reason to be glad, which gives us reason to rejoice, gives us reason to be glad. Last way that God is like a mom is that he meets all of our needs. God meets all of our needs. If you Look now at verses 8, 9, and 10 of Psalm 34. This is the last of the verses in Psalm 34 we're going to look at. It says this. David writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God is like a mom in that he meets all of our needs. Verse 8, taste and see. It's the idea of try it. I think you'll like it. It's that idea here that David's putting out there, that God's goodness is unequaled and unparalleled when you turn to him and ask for him to meet and intercede for your needs. Verse 9 says, fear the Lord. It's the idea of a reverence, to be in awe, to be humbled. Why? Because you will lack nothing. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. Why? Because those that are in a relationship with him realize that he meets all of our needs. They've seen that. They can testify to that. That's what David is doing here. In verse 10, David says, The lions may grow weak and hungry. It's a metaphor for the proud, the rich, those who go, I don't need God. I got life figured out. He's saying, those who seek the Lord, in other words, in contrast to them, those lions, those rich, those people that are independent and say, I can do this all on my own, may grow weak and they may grow hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Reminds me of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, the stuff that you worry about and concern yourself about will be provided and give it unto you. In relation to how God is like a mom and providing us with our needs, Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. Again, up on the screen for you here. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? It's probably the, one of the best examples of a rhetorical question, right? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. This has to be, as I said, one of the greatest rhetorical questions, this picture of what God is like. 
He's never going to forget you. He's never going to ignore you. But even if a mom did forget, God will not do that. And the reason is that you are engraved. It's as though there's, I don't know, a tattoo, so to speak. It's like he looks at you, you're there. There's a relationship that you have and you are there in his focus there. As I thought about that and this idea of God meeting all of our needs as a youth pastor for many years in ministry, um, I always thought it was interesting for me as a youth pastor when we got to camp on that first night, first day, whatever it was into day two, I could always tell which kids packed their own bag and which kids their mom packed it for them. Because within a day or two or three or four, it's the kid going, hey, I don't, I'm out of underwear or I'm out of socks or has anybody got a t-shirt or, you know, they're asking for something. I'm out of shampoo or deodorant. Just, they just forget certain stuff. And when you're a kid, you don't want them to forget deodorant, right? Uh, but mom, on the other hand, when they pack it perfectly, it's like ziplocked, labeled, everything's listed out. So it's there. Some of you are shaking your heads because you've done that before. And, and, and the kids are blessed. I can tell you that as a youth pastor. In those years that I did that, I just want to submit to you, if a mom can figure out how much your needs are, how much more can God figure out what your needs are? For not just a week at camp, but for your entire life as you go through it. So moms, when your children seek you for a need, it's a picture of us seeking God and him meeting our needs. And if ever you found your needs met by your mom or the one who played that mother role for you or that spiritual mom, it's a picture of how God is like a mom because God meets all of our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. So let me f- close with this question. How do you picture God? How do you picture God today? The Bible tells us we can picture him like a mom in that he gives us comfort. He provides us with protection. And he meets all of our needs. As I conclude, a story that comes to my mind uh, goes back a long time ago when I was a little kid. My mom was still living at the time, and and I remember we had, uh, in our yard, we had, uh, I think, two uh, plants of tulips. And I remember seeing that, and I remember thinking, you know what? It wasn't Mother's Day. I just saw them, and I thought, I'm going to cut all the tulips today for mom. And for those of you who know about tulips and everything, you're going, oh, no. Well, that's about what my mom did, too. But she held back self-control, fruit of the Spirit, I guess, and kept a joy and face of smile. You know, she's smiling at me, and I think she said somewhere in the effect of it, please don't ever do that again, which I didn't. But I want to encourage you as you're going to do today, you're going to, in some fashion or some way, give praise and thanks to your mom relationally, Right? But I want to submit to you and challenge you that more than that, like all those tulips I grabbed for my mom that day and my love for her, we should be giving all of our praise and all of our thanksgiving to God. I mean, who else gives you comfort like him? Who, who else can protect you like he can? And who else can meet all of your needs, whatever they are, wherever you go, each and every day? Grab them. Give them all to God.